using our First Amendment rights to their fullest. It's the Jack's Loose Cannons podcast with hosts Hayden Aldersey and Tony Edwards. These guys know that something is horribly wrong with governments all over the world. If we can't discuss what's going on, we can't understand it, let alone confront it. We are in a fight to hold on to our individual liberty. Let's get into this. Here are your Jack's Loose Cannons. Welcome back to Jack's Loose Cannons, guys. We are finally back. I know it's been a while, Hayden. It has. It's been far too long. We've, it's been a nice hiatus, but anyway, we're here. We so. had a lot of stuff going on, right? Um, there was a hurricane. Um, my hearts are with people in southern Florida, especially southwestern Florida, as we um, as that region continues to rebuild. I'll tell you what, they've got to be pretty happy with DeSantis down there. You see how quickly they've rebuilt that causeway and they're getting power back on? It's just amazing. As an infrastructure rebuild, it's amazing. I'm just blown away by it. I'm just blown away by this governor. He just never fails to show how much of a leader he is. And when it comes to our governor, Governor DeSantis, I can't emphasize that word leader enough. Um, I actually just saw his wife speak at a Faith in Florida event uh, last week, and she was saying all of the relief efforts in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian and all the other natural disasters, the building collapse, they also um, went quickly to the scene on. And this yeah. is just the leadership our country desperately lacks right now. Our world desperately lacks. Yeah. Oh, you hear, um, I was listening to Dan Bongino the other day, and he was he was just saying all, all, all governors around the country are just copying DeSantis at the moment. He's the he's he's leading the pack with right decisions and uh, obviously got a lot of support. It's just been too long, guys. We're happy to be back. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot to talk about today, especially with the midterms coming up in two weeks. It's just insane, and it's going to be one of the most important cycles around uh, in recent history. It's um, I mean I'm I'm new to the country, obviously, but I've kept an eye on U.S. politics for a long time, and I've I've never seen. Um, a groundswell like we're seeing at the moment. And um, I saw this morning on the uh, some of the stats coming out, 32 uh, Latino candidates for the GOP, um, 11 African-American, 11 Asian, and two something else. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, just a, it's, it's a realignment mm. um, that's happening in this country. And the re- Republicans, it's just started in 2020 with President Trump's re-election bid. Um, it you know, the Republican Party is becoming the party of the working class, the party of the common man and the common woman. And 2022, I believe, is going to solidify that. Now, we are definitely going to do a midterm preview coming up right now in a couple of minutes. Um, we're also going to be discussing a few events in the world today, such as um, Liz Truss in the UK. Um, she called it quits after what? Uh, f- five minutes in office? <laughs> yeah, five, five <laughs> seconds. And then uh, then after that, we're going to talk a bit about uh, some of the craziness coming from downstairs. I've just, from uh, down under, we've got bullet points for that. And the border, the um, the Biden administration left at 11 p.m. Friday night on the 21st of October to release the um, September uh, end of fiscal year results for border crossing. So we'll just talk briefly about that. And they too. still don't, they're still not saying that it's a crisis down there, right? <laughs> it's not. Of course not. It's uh, it's they're, they're happy as Larry. It's, uh, that that's crazy. And we also have a very special guest that's going to join us all the way from the state formerly known as California. Now it is 
Newsonia. Um, <laughs> and we will be joined by Mark Gonzalez. He is going to be talking about a very interesting topic, and that is the economy and the future of um, our investments. And, you know, he, he's really going to red pill all of us. Um, he's going to scare a lot of us, especially people like me who have money in the stock market. So you're definitely going to um, get excited for that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's absolutely neat. I mean, people have taken such a such a hammering in the in the uh, in the investment markets these this year. It's um, I hope we get some good advice out of him. Yeah, Mark will be here to explain all of that. But um, Hayden, um, I, I just I just want you to tell me what time is it right now? Right now, it's time for Tony to go back to the races. We couldn't be back at a more crucial time. We got two weeks to go. We are in the home stretch of the home stretch right now. Um, things are really heating up across the country. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were discussing are the polls shifting towards the Democrats? Is the red wave actually going to be a blue wave? I mean, that's what the mainstream media was trying to tell us. They were trying to convince us that the Dobbs decision, you know, the decision that rightfully turned, um, rightfully said that there is no constitutional right to kill a baby and turned abortion over to the states. Um, they thought that oh voters were gonna voters are gonna go out and vote for the right to abortion and the Democrats were going to win and we're not seeing that we're actually seeing all the polls going back to the Republicans and I am going to explain that right now but yeah um, today we just saw a poll um, the Virginia second district is a dead heat right now a Democrat Elaine Luria the incumbent she's running for her third term is tied with Jen Kiggins, 45 to 45. And this is one of those races, they call it the canary in the coal mine. Um, We have to win that seat. If we win that seat, that means we are going to not only take the house, but I think we'll have a great night in two weeks. And I've got a, I've got a gut feeling that a lot of Democrat seats are in flux at the moment. We've heard about the uh, the governor's race in, in Oregon, of all places, and Going, uh, going the, towards the Republicans, yeah, and uh, Washington State as well. There's a lot going on there. That Senate race can definitely get flipped, and that's just a testament to the great candidates we were able to recruit this year. A lot mm. of them women, a lot of them minorities. You know, Oregon, you got Christine Drazen. Um, in Washington State, you got Tiffany Smiley running for the Senate. They're just great candidates, yeah. and. Some house, some of these house races are in places you wouldn't expect, like Rhode Island. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> that's amazing. Alan Fung is doing a great job of running in Rhode Island Second District. Um, we probably going to flip a scene. Oregon, places that haven't voted Republican since before I was born are going to isn't, probably flip this year. Isn't there a place in Connecticut too that's a seat that's uh, going to yep, flip? Yep, Connecticut's there? Fifth District. That's George Logan and Johanna Hayes, a far left incumbent in a very marginally light blue seat. So uh, we're going to see that that race is going to definitely be an indicator yeah. of the night that Republicans are going to be having on November 8th. Um, but yeah, House definitely looks like that it is trending red. Um, Nate Silver over at 538. Uh, he's one of those guys, oh, I'm an independent, but everyone knows that he's a Democrat hack. Come on. But Nate Silver... Two weeks ago, as recently as a week and a half ago, he was saying that there is a 29 or even a 31 percent chance that the Democrats were going to keep the House, which is ludicrous. I wouldn't even say that there's a 3.1 percent chance that the Democrats are going <laughs> to keep the House, let alone a 31 percent chance. But 
he is even backtracking on that because he knows where things are heading and now he's at an 81 to 19 spread so still very hackish in my opinion but well um, my my personally i'm just running bets with myself on how close the republicans get 300 seats yeah (laughs) i don't know about 300 but um 250 definitely doable um for reference we haven't had more than 248 seats since 1928 since herbert hoover was elected president uh 2014 we got 247 but i definitely think we could beat that um 260 if everything goes right um i don't think we're gonna get that many but i'll tell you this i think there's a better chance we're gonna get 260 than the Democrats of keeping the House with the way things are going. Well, let's hope they do as well as they did under Obama when under Obama the Democrats lost over a 1,000 seats down at local level. So, Yeah, 20, 2010 and 2014, you know, with the Democrats, they're trying to push this narrative that just counter to history. The last two times there was a Democrat president in a midterm election, the Republicans did really well, and in both of those elections they really – succeeded the expectations that were set by the polls mm. okay so we're right. gonna go down yeah. these races right now you better hurry up tony states. we've only got eight pages of notes to go through come on <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is a crucial midterm election i prepared all these notes because we got to discuss all this stuff that's going on we're going to discuss where these states are with these governor and senate races now um we already um kind of went over the house i'm not going to go in depth with the house races there are about 15 20 that are uh, competitive but it looks like that republicans are going to do really well in that department but the senate that's what the democrats are saying the silver lining is even though if we lose the house we're probably going to not only keep the senate but expand our majority and i am going to go through these states and i'm going to debunk that and say that the senate at the very least is very likely that the Republicans are going to at least pick up one, maybe two, maybe even three or four seats. Okay, so we're going to start with the state that probably most people are looking at right now, and that is Arizona. Um, For governor, Carrie Lake, uh, the former news anchor who was endorsed by Trump pretty early on in the process, is leading in most polls. Trafalgar, which is the polling firm who has a reputation of being among the most trusted, especially in recent years, has her up 49 to 46, which is a very good sign for a Republican at this point in the midterms. Her Democratic opponent, Katie Hobbs, has been a terrible, absolutely abysmal candidate. I like to call her, Hayden, a joke without a punchline because that's what she is. Yep. And her hysterical childish refusal to debate or even just be in the same room as Carrie Lake is sinking her and voters are just seeing that you know she's for lack of a better term she's just an outright Karen yeah well it, it, I mean when she stands there and says oh I, I don't think it's worth the voters time to see, see a debate between us when as Jack, Carrie Lake points out this is a job interview for a, for a very important job she's terrified of her uh, Katie Hobbs and she thinks she's going to pull a Biden and just hide in the basement. Mm. But, you know, vote. she doesn't have COVID as an excuse anymore. She's got to show up. And look, everyone is saying that this race is a toss-up. I think that is absolutely absurd. I think that Lake has a clear advantage. So I'm going to give my official rating leans Republican. Do you agree, Hayden? Absolutely. I'd, I'd go further than that. I'd say, it's, I'd say Carrie Lake's got it. 
So. Yeah, well, maybe in a couple of days, I, I think it can move towards the likely Republican. Now, Arizona also has a Senate race. This is incumbent Mark Kelly going up against uh, venture capitalist Blake Masters, who have spoken about on previous episodes, one of my personal favorite candidates. Um, Kelly has had an advantage in the polls over Masters, but it's quickly fading. A Real Clear Politics poll yesterday um, so we're recording this on Saturday, October 22nd. So on October 21st, Kelly was up by only two and a half points, which is within the margin of error. Now, I think that if you had to give me um, a choice of who's going to win in this race, I'm going to say that Masters is going to pull it off because I think that Lake's stronger than ex- previously expected performance at the top of the ticket may be enough to carry him over to the top. Yeah. Well, get I mean, it, Carrie? Carrie I, Lake? I like it. I like it. I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm not a dad. I guess, can I still make dad jokes? I don't know. <laughs> hey, you've, you've, you've got to ease yourself into that. You know, yeah. dad, 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 <laughs> dad jokes don't come naturally until you've, until you've had a couple of kids. Anyway, on that, um, Blake Masters, I watched the uh, debate between him and Kelly, and Kelly just looked weak. He had no answers, and, and the way um, – Blake Masters hopped into into Kelly when Kelly said, oh, "I've been focused on the border as a senator, blah blah blah," and it's, <laughs> he said, "Is that the, if that's the best you can do, resign?" I thought that was in, that was a great gotcha moment. Yeah, but at least he agreed to a debate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> at least he wasn't like his ticket mate, Katie Hobbs. No, I don't want to debate Gary Lake. No. <laughs> okay, so. Um, Cloak, Sabato, Political, and 538 are saying the Arizona Senate race are saying that's leans Democrat. Real Clear Politics is saying it's a toss-up. I agree with Real Clear Politics. I'm calling that a toss-up right now. Could be leans Republican, but right now, Kelly does have a huge cash advantage, so I'm going to err on the side of it being uh, a coin flip right here. Okay, um, we're going to move on to our... Home state of Florida, the freest state in the country. Now, there is not that really much to see here. Florida is obviously becoming a deep red state, but the media wants you to think that there are competitive races down here. So um, in the Senate, I'm not the biggest Marco Rubio fan, or as I call him, the water boy. If you're wondering why I call him that, just Google Marco Rubio water and you'll see. But he he ain't going nowhere. Um, He's not becoming an Aquafina spokesperson just yet. Um, People are calling it lean R or likely R. No, that's that's a safe R race. Val Val Dennings ain't winning. If you go go by some of the canvassing comments I've seen where people come out and they just say they freaking hate Val Dennings and uh, they're pretty vocal about it. And that's, uh, that's not being coached that's just me walking up and saying hi don't forget to vote and they're like i just get really carried away val demings is going to get destroyed and look in 2016 uh rubio ran against an actual moderate democrat a guy by the name of pat murphy and he destroyed him he actually outran trump by 10 points so if he destroyed an actually kind of centrist democrat He's going to destroy the far leftist Val Demings, no question. Okay, Florida governor, the only question here is how much does DeSantis win by? We were discussing earlier how amazing of a job he's done as a leader. I can't stress that 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 word enough when it comes with him. Um, I could see this as being a 15-point or even a 20-point landslide. Uh, what do you think, Hayden? I, I think so. And, I, and something out of left field was the... Uh, 
the uh, CDC announced the other day they're going to um, put uh, the vaccine on the yeah. schedule for children. People in Florida know DeSantis won't let that be just pumped into kids willy nilly. So I 100%. think. Um, and I think that's going to have an impact uh, nationally. I'd be surprised if it doesn't. You know? Yeah, I, I think that's going to uh, – I think he's still going to win re-election, but I think it's going to hurt Gavin Newsom with some swing voters and some even moderate Democrats. I think it's going to mm. cause him to lose about 5% of the vote. Um, it won't be nearly enough for the Republican to beat him there, but I, I think that voters just had enough with these mandates. Mm. Like, come on, let's just live normal life now. But – Charlie Crist is just laughably bad of a candidate. It's just no question that he's a sacrificial lamb. Mm. I mean, his campaign manager just quit with over two weeks to go. Like, who does that in an actual competitive race? <laughs> that's, that's never a good sign. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I'm, you know, Real Clear Politics is calling this lean R. Like, is this a joke? Like, seriously. Everyone else likely R. No. Okay, look. I got to give Nate Silver some credit here. He actually has it as solid. That's what he calls a safe Republican race. Yep. I'm going to say this is a safe DeSantis slide. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. All right, Georgia, come on. Georgia, let's not kid ourselves here. Stacey Abrams ain't winning. It's not even going to be close. I but- see a double-digit Kemp victory at the minimum. Um, you know how Kemp was predicted to be in a, a competitive race and he ended up winning by 50 points in the primary. I think there's a shy Kemp voter effect. I think the polls only show that it's somewhat close because people are just afraid to say they like this guy. Yeah, but St- Stacey Abrams just come up with these fantastic policy ideas like cut your costs by not having kids <laughs> or uh, cut your costs by killing yourself. She's just, you know. <laughs> well, she said that. <laughs> and the, and the, oh, sorry, that might be a Babylon Bee headline. Um, <laughs> And then and then she's then she turns around and says, I don't care that there's the greatest number of people turning out for primaries in history, there's still voter suppression out there. <laughs> she's she's just she's just what you call a sore loser and everyone's calling this Lenar, which is hysterical. Uh five thirty eight, Nate Silver again, gotta give him credit. He doesn't take BS, is giving it likely R. But come on, this is a safe Republican race if I've never seen one. Um likely though, MSNBC gig for the states. Maybe even McDonald's spokesperson. I think she'd do a great job there. Hey. And look, whatever you want to say about the Babylon Bee, I know it's satire, but at least it is more real news than MSNBC. Hey, I think Stacey Abrams got a great future as an Uber driver. She could talk to everyone about of her theories, and they'd all go along with her. She, I think she'd have a ball. Yeah. Now, Georgia Senate um, is a different story. Now, this debunks this whole thing that people say, oh, you know, there's no such thing as split ticket voting anymore. Of course, there's still such thing as split ticket voting, especially in a state like Georgia. You're going to see a lot of suburban, um, moderate-ish voters that are going to split their tickets with governor and Senate. That's just the way things are there. Um, And this is an interesting race between um, Senator Raphael Warnock, the accidental senator, and Herschel Walker, the former NFL player. We discussed it earlier on the podcast with Nicole Rodden a few episodes back. I believe it was episode four, if you want to watch that. Um, but I, I think Walker did perform well in the, the debate he just had with Warnock. Um, and boy, he really needed that. Yeah, well, I think I think War- the more that comes out about Warnock, too, he just seems like an unsavory guy. That, um, that bit where um, recently where... Um, Walker took a press crew out to the um, the block of a block of apartments that was um, being run by Warnock's church, and it's just 
a dive, <laughs> you know, and and the stories of, him, of his uh, of his administration of that church evicting people for very small amounts of money. This just makes him just seem like a, a cra- uh, something just very unsavoury. I wouldn't is like him. Is he running a church or is he running a Ponzi scheme? That's what I want to know. Well, he's getting seventy thousand a year as a some sort of a, a stipend, so that's that's pretty generous for on. Uh, Considering it's all coming from donations, I imagine. Yeah, well, I mean, apart from the whole weird badge incident, we still don't know to this day whether or not it was a prop or not. Um, I, I think Walker really exposed Warnock during that debate. His answer on abortion was excellent. Um, so I, I do think that I do agree with everyone who's calling this a toss-up. I do think that this is a toss-up, and this could very well be the race that decides to control the Senate, especially if we lose Pennsylvania. It's going to come down to Georgia. Okay, so Nevada. Nevada Senate. um, This is a race that I'm actually very, very optimistic about. I'm very enthusiastic about this race and the candidate we have here. Uh, One-term, under-the-radar Democratic incumbent, Catherine Cortez Masto. Who is that again? I don't know. Is that person even in the Senate? You never hear her name, and she wants that that way. She doesn't want you to know who she is, so she wins re-election, and it just coasts for life. But I don't think that's going to happen this year, because the Republicans have a great candidate in Adam Laxalt, a Mm. former state attorney. And get this, Governor DeSantis' former Navy roommate. Maybe he's vice president. I don't know. And I've seen him on uh, Mark Levin's show. He's a, he seems like an excellent guy to have in, uh, have in the spot as well. Yeah, I was actually just on a webinar with him a couple of weeks ago, and he was uh, essentially explaining the state of his race and debunking this whole false notion that, oh, the Dobbs decision is going to sway all these pro-abortion voters who you who you never see over to, over to the Democratic side. So, yeah, um, he's a great guy. He knows his stuff. Um, I not only agree with the conventional wisdom that this is the likeliest R pickup, I'm confident enough to give Laxalt the advantage or Adam vantage. Adam, you're I'm just, so, just rolling with these dad jokes today. Yeah, What's going I'm, on? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I don't know. I'm missing more field goals than Gary Anderson. <laughs> if you watch the NFL in the nineties, you get that. I did. And I was, I was a baby when that happened, but, um, everyone says this is a toss up. I say this is lean R um, Nevada governor, um, another under the radar Democratic incumbent, Steve Sisolak. Again, who? Up against uh, Clark County Sheriff Joe Lombardo running a campaign on crime, which, as I say, is probably the most important issue. I, I would I would even say it's more of an important issue to voters than inflation is. I think they go hand in hand with each other. Um, but. I, I think that if Laxalt wins, Lombardo does too, um, even though, as I was saying earlier, ticket splitting happens. Um, so, yeah, everyone's calling this a toss-up. I'm also going to be calling this lean R because I think Nevada is just going to go red this year. And uh, I agree. And all four house seats in Nevada have a potential of going red for the first time in history. Yeah, right so, now. as we were saying earlier, there's going to be house seats you don't even expect Republicans are going to get all across the country. Right. Now, how, how's, the, how's New York? How's the Big Apple doing? Okay, so my former state that I escaped, um, this is interesting because a governor raised there, the guy that I interned for, Lee Zeldin, Congressman Lee Zeldin, can he pull off the upset of the century? Um, and I, as, I, as I said before with Nevada, 
This race is going to come down to one issue. Lee Zeldin has made it about this one issue, and that is crime, which is rampant in New York City and in the suburbs, too. Um, so the city, which is a New York City um, local news source, it's actually fairly unbiased for a New York City news source. Um, and they said, and this is via Wikipedia, in order to win, Zeldin would have to get 30% or more of the vote in New York City and outperform Donald Trump's 2020 margin everywhere else by 10 points or more, which recent polls have shown is possible. Now, that's more than possible because, as I mentioned, Marco Rubio outperformed Trump in Florida by 10%. Yeah. So it's it's really, it's been done before. I think he can do it. I really do. I think um, it's going to require a lot of minority voters, particularly Hispanic voters and Asian voters, to vote for Zeldin. But those areas, um, you see voters are really waking up to this crime issue. And I think Zeldin's going to get an unprecedented amount of minority support. He's surging in polls. Um, most polls have him just flirting with that margin of error at 45 uh, four or five points behind, mm. um, and he was down double digits just a few weeks well, ago. Well, I, I saw him on. He was on the couch on uh, Fox and Friends this morning, and they were saying one poll's come out that shows him just ahead of Hochul. So that's um, that's an amazing indicator. Interesting though, because Fox News said that race is safety which we just boo them and we call them faux news like <laughs> yeah. the leftist hacks over at Media Matters do. Um, on that matter, I agree with Fox News being faux news. Cook in 538, our pal Nate Silver, also call that safety. Now, get get out of here. Um, Sabato and Political are a little kinder to Zeldin at Likely D. Real Clear Politics got some flack for calling this toss-up, um, but I think they're the closest to the actual truth. So I'm going to call this Lean D. I'm not going to go as far and say it's toss-up. I'm a little cautious because in the end of the day, it is New York, and I did live there for 23-plus years, and it is it well, is a, it is a I, liberal hellhole there. So I've, I've seen people throwing the virtual uh, rotten tomatoes at AOC in the last few days, so I'm going to stick my neck out and say Republican. Yeah, um, I really hope you're right. But look, I'm saying lean D, but I think it's a little closer to toss up than it is to likely D. All right, real quick, Ohio, this is an open seat. One of my favorite candidates, J.D. Vance, is leading Tim Ryan in every major poll by low to mid single digits. Um, some it's internal Democratic polls have Ryan ahead. But look, I, I don't think Ryan has a shot. I just think he's a hack. Um, he's... He's a bad one at that as well. Um, and polls just over the last couple of years, they've been missing in Ohio big time. Um, in 2020, a Quinnipiac poll famously had Biden up by four. And that was a week before the election. A week later, Trump ended up winning by just over eight points. Mm. So that means that they overestimated the Democrats by 12 points. Yeah. So Quinnipiac has... Um, Ryan behind by three. They have Vance up by three. So that translates to a 15-point Vance victory, which I think is absolutely possible. And Ryan is just a bad candidate. I mean, he tried to tie Vance to the great replacement conspiracy theory and call him a white supremacist. And Vance responded by saying, yeah, people like you is why my five-year-old biracial children get attacked online. Five years old and younger. And it's just this this guy Ryan is just a joke. Um, he's mm. going to lose. He's going to lose big time. I think the worst thing is he's he's just one of that crowd that have been identified during this midterm races as being just a hand to go up to support Biden. That's all he's there yeah. for. He's just and, a body in a seat. And, and he says he stands up to Biden in, in his in his ads. 
this is it's just BS because he votes with Biden a hundred percent of the time in the House. Of course, he's going to do the same if he goes to the Senate. And I, I I think he's also the cringiest candidate of this cycle. I like to compare him to Uncle Rico from the movie Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> Um, the guy who's, cause he always talks about, oh, I used to play football when I was in high school. In my days, I could throw the football over those mountains. <laughs> he's just, he's just living in the eighties. Um, I can't wait for JD Vance, a random author dude like myself to end his political career in a couple of weeks. Um, I'm going to say this is likely our, um, Nate Silver is actually the only major, um, major news, uh, forecaster to say that is likely are 538 put it that there nate silver um cook sabato political real clear politics all the other ones say it's leanar look i don't like agreeing with nate silver but a broken clock is right twice a day so he's right again okay now let's get on to the linchpin the, okay uh, the keystone state pennsylvania. pennsylvania this is this is a doozy and um we're gonna end with pennsylvania but it, it, this is this is a state where i think I think that if the Democrats have a chance of, of holding off on this in, on any state, it's this state. Um, so Pennsylvania governor, I think Doug Mastriano has, has impressed me more and more since winning the nomination. I wasn't sure of him at first. He was an unknown qual- uh, quantity. I think he's a really smart guy, knows military strategy very well. Um, he's a little bit not the best public speaker, and we had um, one of his volunteers Danny on the last episode, which was, seems like it was a million years ago, but it was only a month and a half ago. Um, but I, I think Josh Shapiro's Ben's evil twin, as I call him, is a radical leftist, and he's just a soft on crime attorney general. He's running a campaign almost exclusively on abortion, because you know that's all the Democrats got right now. Um, I think that this is going to be a close race. It's a dead heat. It's going to go down to the wire. Um Shapiro's leading in most polls, um, but I I have this as toss-up. Now, Nate Silver has it as solid D. So (laughs) I'm like, what? It's not like, look, I I think Shapiro has a better shot of winning than a lot of Democrats in these states do, but come on, it's not solid D. Um, Everyone is calling it likely D or leans D. Real clear politics is the only one like me calling it a toss up. This race is a toss up. Mastriano can win. Um, it's just gotta. People in Pennsylvania just gotta go out and go to the polls and vote for Doug Mastriano. And they also gotta vote for Dr. Oz too because that Senate race, that's the race everyone is watching. Dr. Oz versus John Fetterman. Come on, that man! That man can't even read a teleprompter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I look, you know, I appreciate the guy had a stroke, but really, everyone knows you have to recover from a stroke. You don't just sort of come back and continue life as normal. It has a big impact on you, and um, and stroke-induced dyslexia and and other neurological uh, things have a big impact on people's life. And uh, I think that for him to sort of be continually pushed by the Democrats shows two things. One, they've got no respect for Pennsylvania voters. They'll, they think they'll just accept anything. And two, they've got no bench. They've got no one behind yep. there to throw up there other than this guy. Yeah, he's just he's just ridiculous. And I honestly feel bad for him. I really think he needs help. I think he's not all there physically and mentally. Um, and this race is just going to come down to can we get our voters out? 
So we had our resident PA expert, Danny Kunzelman, as I said before, on mm. last time. And he was saying, um, this was a month and a half ago, he was correctly predicting that the poll would tighten. And Fetterman had a pretty big lead back then. And now um, Oz is still a little behind, but he's catching up. And if the momentum continues, Oz is going to pull this off. So what we got to do, and this is what Danny said, you know, look, Danny, like a lot of people, like I, even though I'm not in Pennsylvania, we, we preferred Kathy Barnett in the primary. Some people preferred China, Dave McCormick, as I call him, because he's just a, a puppet for the Chinese Communist Party. But hey, if, if you like Dave McCormick or if you liked Kathy Barnett, here's your chance to unify behind the guy who won the Republican nomination. You got to go out there because he's the only guy who's going to prevent John Fetterman from going to the U.S. Senate. Yeah, and for, and for goodness sake. Don't think that you're going to do something clever like give them a protest vote by not voting. That's just a waste. That's of a vote for Fetterman. Yep. And Republicans learn that the hard way with the um, with the Georgia runoffs in 2020. I know a lot of Republicans said, you know, I'm fed up with how the 2020 presidential election was conducted, which weren't we all. But I'm not going to vote for Kelly Leffler and David Perdue. And as a result, we have John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock in the Senate. So, yeah, you got to vote for Oz if you live in Pennsylvania. I'm sorry, but he's your nominee. You're stuck with him. Um, uh, I, everyone is calling this either lean D or toss-up. 538 has it at lean D. Um, I have it as toss-up. But I acknowledge it was lean D a few weeks ago. But if Oz can keep this momentum up, this has a potential to become lean R. Let's hope so. Fingers crossed. Now we welcome our special guest for this episode. Mark Gonzalez. Hi, Mark. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, very excited to be here. We're really excited to have you here. So where are you calling from, Mark? Uh, I'm currently at San Diego, in San Diego right now. I, I feel really bad for you and your governor or fascist dictator, whatever you want to call him. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, but. no, I, I I would agree. It's it's not the uh, most pleasant place. It is home. Um, I am considering looking, or I am looking at other places. Uh, at least find out if this is where I'm supposed to be, or you know, if I'm going to be leaving California. So I am actively looking for that. I'll keep you posted, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, well, I have a suggestion of what state to move to, and it starts with FL and ends with Arda. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah that's. <laughs> I was in the same boat as you two years ago. I was in uh, a bad state, New York, and I moved here, and my mm -hmm. life has never been better. But, um, yeah, um, um, how much is gas where you are right now? Uh, depends on where you go. I, I still know a few places I can get it for right about 6, but I would say you're paying mid-6. If you're downtown or coastal or by the freeway, you're going to be closer to about 6 and 3 quarters, 6.8. Wow. So it's it's definitely it's definitely not Florida. When I was out in Florida, I really loved the fact that uh, my dinners were less expensive and the gas was less expensive. Gas is like literally uh, half here. Like it's like three. It's like yeah. literally take what's in California and take a calculator, divide it by two. But this just shows that the economy has moved to the front of the issues voters are concerned about. As I was saying, mm -hmm. it's right up there with crime, but economy and crime really go hand in hand because what is causing this spike in crime? It's people upset over the bad economy and not 
not being able to provide for them and for their families. And as the midterms approach, people have seen their investments just really hit hard. So, Mark, we have you here uh, to give us some perspective on what we need to do. Um, offer some red pills for us, so to speak. Yeah, <laughs> and- yeah I'll be happy to do that. Um, well, first thing, so you know a little bit about me. Um, I'm a previous uh, licensed commodity trader. I now currently... I just deal with the hard commodity asset of precious metals, gold, silver, platinum, palladium. I do that as a profession, and I've been in this field for off and on the greater part of about 26 years. So um, a lot of things that I'll kind of bring to the table, and and I guess as this goes on, uh, I'm going to keep it as authentic as possible. And you guys just chime in with any questions that that you may want me to uh, touch upon or elaborate on things I say. But you know, I'll start by this. Um, where we're at today uh, at a global economy, first thing everybody needs to know understand is it's for the most part entirely fake. Um, it's just digits on a screen. It's backed up with the smallest portion of actual asset. Everything is levered up so high and it's going to come crashing, crashing down. Um, the only true asset throughout all of the existence of monetary history going back before Christ walked the earth is, is precious metals. It is, in fact, God's money. Yep. Gold and silver are the only asset that will extinguish debt. Everything else is created from debt. You, you assign a mortgage note to create a bank note no matter where you're at. You borrow a dollar to make a dollar, but you owe a dollar thirty, and the $0.30 cents is never made. Yep. So and the when world you go always to the Bible, owes. Yeah. And Mark, and when you go to the Bible— they use gold and silver. They don't use fiat money or, you know, notes and stuff. That concept didn't exist back then. Mm-hmm. It's a brand new concept that was just created um, decades ago. Yeah, the uh, the fiat system was um, came into being uh, around the time of the goldsmith back in about the 1400s where people would put uh, gold in the vault of the goldsmith because they didn't necessarily want it carrying around. He realized that not enough people or as many people came to a re uh, acquire or demand back their gold uh, for transactions in proportionate to what he actually had. So he was able to create larger gold certificates for holdings and society caught on to that. And, and lo and behold, they actually agreed to accept it as long as the, uh, the uh, goldsmith pays them a yield or an interest payment. And that created interest banking. Uh, that was uh, seven centuries ago. So, it's been around for a while, but even in, in the uh, Roman times of Christ and, and Athens, Greece, there still was devaluation. There still was hijinks because you would have set gold measured coins of certain purity, certain ounce levels, and you would have that for your goods and services. But when you're a nation that's expanding and it's the same today as it was then with the U.S. dollar and the United States being dominant, um, you, you can't break down borders and feed the troops as fast as you can mine this stuff out of the ground. So what they would do is they pull uh, X amount of coins out over a period of time, usually through taxation, like Jesus tossed in the temple, mm-hmm. and then they'd refine those down, right? So if you had a measure of one gold coin and you pulled out 10 gold coins and you refined it down and then you put it to a, uh, you know, a 50% purity, then what do you got? Now you got 20 coins. You expanded your monetary base, but when mm-hmm. you go to buy something, it, the merchant or vendor is going to now demand more payments, but then what magically happens, and this is the argument for metal with what's to come, is the value of that coin, the authentic original gold coin, rises to meet the amount of artificial ones uh, because there's so little gold in the the newly created coins that it's going to take X amount of those to buy the 
the real one. That's going to happen uh, with the gold prices based on the U.S. monetary system and based on our M2 and our debt load. When we that comes to be revalued at the end of the day, and I think we're only a couple years away, you're going to see gold and silver prices rise significantly. It may be the only safe haven that people are going to have. Wow. Um, but this is historically accurate. And, and to touch on this real quick, not to take too much of a side note, but biblically, you, you know the story, Jesus tossed the temple due to taxation, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, so the reason that is, is for the same concept, is is you would take the citizenary coins uh, in X amount to the temple to exchange, let's say, 10 coins for one gold, the Roman state coin. Um, but as they're devaluing, it went from 10 coins to 15 to 20 to 30. That's really kind of what happened. Oh, wow. Jesus was upset of that, so he went and tossed the temple. So the reason uh, that the Roman Empire set a gold standard for the state coin for that taxation is they they knew that they could get it because it was the only coin or only form of payment acceptable for the tax. Well, fast forward to 1914 when the uh, IRS was created, uh, conveniently enough, one year after the Federal Reserve was created. The whole reason the IRS was created is not to tax for roadways. It's it's to tax on the debt of the money we borrow to create our own currency from the Federal Reserve. So Mm. when you create a national currency, who wants it? It's an all right, interconnected so it, web of, of government control. Yeah, exactly. So making your wealth out of a state, and they got it down to a T through expansion and contraction. And now we're going through the contraction, but we're also going to hit a reprice. Um, it's it's as old as time. So, it, it really is. So that's why the IRS was created for the same reason Jesus tossed the temple two thousand plus years ago. Wow, interesting. So so anyway, we're in this interesting position now. We've got all this sort of wealth that isn't really wealth seems to have been spuriously created since 2008 or, or earlier. And um, then this week we hear that $15 trillion has been wiped off U.S. wealth, according to a, a Bloomberg report. Um, so th- then we've got this market uncertainty about what's happening with the markets. Are they going to go down further? Are they going to start coming up? Um, and on top of that, we hear terrible reports of people losing massive amounts of money for their 401ks and investments. Um and if and being told that if they pull their money out now, they're going to bake in their, any losses they've made, so they they should leave it in and just hope for the best. Um, so, what should they do? It just seems like a really confusing situation to most people. These are good. That's a good question. Okay, so first of all, in in, in full disclosure, I'm not a financial advisor, so I'm not going to give, I'm not giving anybody tax advice. I'm going to tell you how it works. Yeah. So the reason the wealth is lost, and the wealth isn't necessarily lost; it's just changing hands. Okay, so when you're investing to a company, you invest into company XYZ, company goes up, you're, you're giving them money that they can use as a marketing base or a building base from the shareholders. And their goal is to use that capital and increase whatever widget or profit or performance that they do to give you a better return. Um, but either which way they get it, it's theirs now um, to do with what they please. So it, when the markets drop and the valuation of your stocks drop, doesn't mean necessarily that 15 trillion vanished. It means that you already gave it to someone else and you're taking the short end of the stick. It still exists, but it's theirs. Yeah. So that's the first thing with that. As far as baking in, uh, taking money out of the, out of the, uh, investments to lock in the losses and, and, uh, prevent yourself from further losses opposed to waiting to write it out. I got to tell you, man, uh, if it was me, I wouldn't be having it in there because I know how it works. Mm. Um, Debt is what makes the currency. But beyond that is the problem that we had in 2008. And this goes back even uh, a decade before then uh, with hedge funds is you got the leverage. You got the leverage in the economy. 
right? So in, in 2008, you could have had 100 million in mortgage bonds. Most of them were rated their crap, but they gave them AAA rating because they had to go into pensions and you need to have a higher rating for pensions, but the treasuries weren't yielding enough to perform. So what they did is they take 100 million and then they restructure that same 100 million 20, 25 times. Wow. So it's all illusional. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, so when you have leverage, if you have leverage, let's say two to one, um, think uh, ETFs and you know, I bought those before with oil and other commodities. Um, don't think I'd really touch them a lot now. But uh, if you have a two-to-one leverage, you're going to gain twice as fast when the market goes up. If it goes down, you're going to lose twice as fast. So if every dollar goes up, you make two. Every dollar goes down, you lose two. Mm. So simple schematics with that. So you have global debt right now denominated mostly in dollars. And this is all the derivatives and the shadow banking, all the crap that you don't hear about. Um, again, that 100 million mortgage levered up 25 times, except for now it's all markets and it's nearly 100 to in excess of 100 times. So the opposite side of that, and this is where people really need to pay attention, is, is the opposite side. If you have up to about 100 times leverage of any marked financial asset or any actual tangible asset itself, that means you have about 1% and I'll say 5% of being generous of actual assets that are pricing the world. Okay, and you're hearing, you've heard stories from the World Economic Forum. Um, you've heard talk, I'm sure, from the IMF. It's not just Bloomberg that says stuff. Those are media outlets. I, I, I wouldn't follow uh, traditional media outlet sources. It's a reason it's called programming. Mm. Um, but these, uh, yeah, these, these people, be, you know, if you listen to what they say, they're talking about a Redwoods 3. They're talking about a great reset. Mm. They want so, to take all of our assets and essentially we will own nothing and be happy. That's what they say. They want us to eat bugs, you know, live in a pod. All that, oh, all that's, that oh, that's, that's it. Yeah, you're absolutely it. In fact, uh, I, I can touch on that in a little bit, but it, it all goes down to the structure of the monetary system. So the U.S. was not the dominant currency. I, uh, you know, we became the dominant currency in Bretton Woods in 1944 and we started getting headway towards that when Europe was having issues in the late 1800s and we were having an industrial revolution. Doesn't mean that we were a dominant currency. We just looked a little bit more attractive if you were going to diversify. And then before the, uh, the pound, which had a dominant uh, yield worldwide of, of nearly 100 years before them in various orders, you had Portugal, you had Spain, you had Italy. Everybody had a shot. So when you have a dominant currency that prices the world, you're exporting all of your inflation and manufacturing to the countries that exchange the loss. That's it. Our inflation has always been there. It's just it's been supported by other countries. So if I go to Mexico and I take a dollar there to get 20 pesos, right, that that conversion of 20 pesos is in my favor. If it's theirs, 20 pesos to get one dollar. It's it's not. That's our inflation. Yeah. Our inflation has always been there and it's been given to other countries. Now it's going to come home and it could potentially go into hyperinflation. Wow. Second aspect of a dominant currency is you export your manufacturing jobs go overseas because it's less to produce something you don't have to pay a livable u.s wage the country of dominance runs deficits that's simply spending more more than you make it's math at some point it, it comes to an end and, and that's where we're at except for there is no one country to go to we're going to go to a global structure based on the imf exchange of the sdr and the brics nations are going to dominate it Gee. um wow. it, as simple as that and and and, it, and when you hear of countries revaluing their currency <laughs> um, Argentina's done it. Brazil's done it. Uh, Zimbabwe's done it. Turkey's done it a couple times. Uh, Zimbabwe's done it at extreme level, right? Because isn't Zimbabwe they, like yeah. when you think of currency that's like worth nothing? 
don't don't they like walk around with nine hundred and ninety nine thousand million trillion uh, Zimbabwe dollar notes? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's going to come here, except for eventually we're going to be on a digital currency. So when you have to default on the debt, okay, if everything's levered up and it's all developed on debt, all right, stocks go up because corporations uh, buy back their stock on borrowed money, squeeze it up, and then the debt that they corporate capital they bought and borrowed to or borrowed to buy the stocks, that gets levered up many, many times. It, the only logical conclusion that you can come to knowing all of monetary history for thousands of years is you have to have a lower bound in markets. All right, that does half of the heavy lifting. So the whole expansion contraction thing is like a roaring 20s Great Depression. The bank, uh, via the central bank, the credit flows, think garden hose gets turned on high and the rates are low. So it's it's an illusion that you feel wealthy, so you're spending more and you're borrowing against your house as it goes up to buy another one, borrowing against that to buy another one, buying a business. And then something conveniently changes on the banking end for the plumbing. The hose gets turned down a notch or two or off, and the rates go up, and now you can no longer borrow Peter to pay Paul. Defaults take the currency out of the system, but yet they regain cap. They regain possession of the asset, uh, be it the house, the boat, the car, or the business. All right, and we've had this wash, rinse, recycle since the Fed was created, starting uh, in twenty one, the first depression, and then twenty nine, the second. And it's been about every every eight to twelve years. And a lot of financial advisors are going to tell you just stay in the market. Right. For one, they don't understand what's really going on. And if they do, they're too afraid to tell you because you're going to take their investments out and they get paid a, a kickback every single year of how much is invested. They, but they say stay into it. Right. Stay into it for the long term because you could have one hundred thousand dollars in 2007. In 2008, it was worth thirty thousand. Then it went up to, uh, you know, let's say uh, someone went up to about two hundred fifty thousand. So it goes up and down. Yeah. Right. So just stay into it for the long term. Ride but the then, wave, as they it, say. Well, yeah, but that's illusionary because then you got to look at, 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 at just not everything priced against a point action or a movement of a stock or valuation on paper. You have to look in, in here in San Diego. Um, I'm going to I'll tell you about, you know, one of my favorite breakfast burritos in 2008. That sucker cost about two dollars and 15 cents. Now it's 17 dollars. No. Right. So when you take when you take into consideration um, and this is varied with anything. Look at look at the price of fast food. Look at the price of your steak. Look at the price of your gas. Now, Florida is less expensive than California. we got a lot of tax in, involved in that. Yeah. But <laughs> when you compound and, and factor in the price of your rising goods and services over that 8 to 12-year expansion contraction cycle, you really find out that you're, you have to be in the markets for about 25 years to recoup your purchasing power of when it first collapsed. Wow. So, right, so that's the one thing people don't get. Um, yeah. It's 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 an illusion. I um I was speak I was literally speaking to a, an investment guy the other day because and uh, he was saying um, he was just trying to tell me simplistically that um, the, the markets just have a twelve year cycle and they go down, they go up, and we're we're, we're going to go up again soon because it's just going down now. And uh, I just thought that didn't that sounded a bit simplistic for me. <laughs> I'm I'm just wondering if other people out there are getting the same sort of advice and and don't understand the. The, the bigger picture, like as you're saying, um, which which then leads us on to where's a safe place to put things. Yeah, um, and th- this is where the precious metals really come in because these are things, as you were saying before, that they've always been there. They've always been part of the world economy. And uh, there's a little bit of a debate here. It's almost like I'm sure you're familiar with the late 1800s and the whole William Jennings Bryan, do not crucify me on a cross of gold debate between gold and silver and bimetallism. But 
Some people are telling me, um, don't don't bother with gold, that silver is what's more in demand, especially due to its use in technology, microchips. And other people are saying, nah, silver is too, um, it fluctuates too much. Stick with gold. Gold's, gold's more valuable. It's been around for a while. So from your experience of both gold and silver and maybe other physical assets, what, what do you recommend? Um, would you recommend a mixture, predominantly one or the other? <coughs> Um, well, yeah, you're always going to want a mixture. I'm not going to say one's necessarily better than the other. Silver will perform better than gold, but that's not only due to the industrial basis of it, but it's also to its market size being drastically smaller than that of gold. So when people rush in to buy insurance on that burning house, they're going to look for best uh, value for premium, and silver carries that at the price point, um, meaning that they're both are going to rise to to keep people uh, – on even keel as their grocery bill goes up, their energy costs go up, their gas go up, all this kind of things. But then silver supply demand kicks in. And uh, over the last few run-ups, silver outperforms gold on a percentage-wise. So if gold goes up, you know, five, ten, ten times, and it easily could, mm. uh, silver will probably go 30, 50 times. Um, so then you got preservation wealth and, and uh, um, as, as well as uh, – a, one hell of an investment and, and there's so much to cover like you know and i could go on for a very long time with this and i know we don't have time so i'm going to try to you know to squeeze as much in there as can let's touch on the fact that hayden what you're saying there's a lot of advisors who say oh no buy gold because silver's too volatile well there's a reason for that yeah okay um again everything's fake you got 100 million in mortgage bonds and you sold them 25 times mm. right so you diluted the market to keep the dollar strong and keep the limelight off of precious metals, many banks and brokerages and the London markets as well, they've sold more precious metals than they in fact have. It's called margin, yep. right? And, and uh, you can do this with the uh, future leverage contracts. Like you is simple math. You could, you could uh, buy, let's say, $100,000 worth of silver on the futures contract and control that for, let's say, 10000 well, the volatility in this market is when the price gets too high, where a uh, organization, let's say like J.P. Morgan, which manipulates silver uh, majority, if they if the price gets too high and they're faced with the realization that someone could call in the silver that they sold them that they don't have, then they sold it to them at twenty dollars, but now they got to go buy it at thirty dollars. It's not a winning plan for them. So what they'll do is they'll borrow against SLV. Um, silver that may be there, may not be there. Chances are it's not. And and then they're going to sell that into the market to give the illusion of more buyers and sellers and drop the price. So they'll sell it to you at 30 and then they buy it back at 20. Um, and also uh, in 80s, in 1980, when the uh, markets were taken off last time, we had a major inflationary run decoupling from dollar uh, to gold in 71. They raised the margin requirements. So that 10,000 example to control 100,000, that went up to 50,000. Not everybody has that much liquidity. And by design, if you can't pay your margin at the end of the trading day, they sell the position. So they collapse the market and blame two schmucks named the Hunt Brothers who did nothing wrong. Right. And, and then they did that in 19, excuse me, they did that in 2011 when silver approached $50 again, the all time high. Because if it broke that, the, the collateral damage would be JP Morgan would probably be out of business having to buy enough silver to satisfy what it sold that it didn't have. So they raised margin requirements then. From about sixty five hundred dollars to twenty seven thousand dollars in five days, and they took the price from silver from fifty to thirty two. Now, any financial advisor can see a chart and say, "Oh, it's too volatile." Understand what the hell is happening here? Uh, so, <clears throat> it, it, that's it's, it's not really, an actual barometer. Yeah, 
It's, it really does my head in as, as, a, as, a, as a layman hearing about people <laughs> selling stuff they don't have and I think, why aren't they in jail? <laughs> it just, just doesn't make any sense. Well, yeah, I know. Isn't there a word for that? Isn't it theft? It's called fraud. Yeah, yeah. fraud. <laughs> well, it, it, it is a kind it of theft, illegal. though. Uh, yeah, no, it is. It is a theft. And so here's where we go from here. The intention being be, uh, the World Economic Forum being the Bank for International Settlements, which is the longest standing bank for central bank structure, and it's in Basel, Switzerland, and it's been, a, been around for over 500 years, and it's owned by one family, and that bank is the boss of Jerome Powell, of the Federal Reserve, of the Bank of China, the Bank of Russia, the uh, European Central Bank. They're all controlled by this one conglomerate. And his words, the gentleman that runs that place and has for a while, his words are 2025, we're going to a cashless system. Okay, we're going to remove all banknotes. Now, are they on target or not on target? I don't know. But I'm assuming by the end of 25, shit gets real. So if we're going to go to a, We're going to remove all banknotes to go to a, a digital system under CBDC, Central Bank Digital Coin. So it's blockchain, except for you can't see the ledger and it can be reprogrammed based on your social credit and carbon's credit. Okay, so you could have a million dollars in the bank, and if credit makes currency and it's all levered up, you need a good old-fashioned market rinse out. And I'm not talking about your garden variety of 40, 30, 50 percent. I'm talking 70, 80, 90. Yeah. Right. And then credit makes currency. So all you have to do is adjust the zeros on the debt end to revalue the value of what it made. So you go to bed and a dollar buys a dollar. You wake up, they add 10 zeros on the debt. It's going to take $10 to buy what yesterday's dollar did. But the opposite on the banking ledger, if they just have $1 on ledger, it doesn't even have to. It could just be in the computer screen. That $1 will satisfy 10 in debt. It's a good old-fashioned bankruptcy discharge on citizens, which citizens are borrowers. So you could have a million dollars and lose 70% at the end of this thing in this market downturn and get $300,000 but then you get marked out 10 times. Now you got 30 grand and then anything you have in the bank legally is not yours and can be converted in stock to prop them up. That happened in January, 2015. Most people don't know about it. So really? if, if you look at governments as what they are, they are businesses. All right. The district yeah. of Columbia is a corporate, it's a corporate entity. Yeah. Call it what it is. It's a corporate entity and it's owned by the crown. Plain and simple. So if all governments are businesses, businesses around the world aren't doing as well as they should. So the intention is here is we're going to have a massive consolidation, a massive downsizing. You know what I mean? And then we're going to have an automation. And it's going to be tied to your digital, your digital currency and what you can and cannot do. Participate, travel, buy is all going to be based upon your carbon credit and your social credit outcome. In fact, we're uh, seeing this this with the ESG scores. They're doing that, and Australia already announced that they're going to start rolling that out with the bank and making it mandatory. You got yeah. um, you got Ireland, Finland, Norway, Sweden are talking about this, and it's all with the ESG. But the Rabobank has a carbon uh, credit uh, division, and Dichotomy has teamed up with Mastercard to have the dual black card, which is to limit and completely cut off your spending based on your corporate a- output. Look it up. There's an ad. Uh, there's a lady holding up the card. Basically saying that they have an ability to not only reduce but to completely cut it off, wow. and it's not instead of uh, your your credit worthiness be tied to how many loans you had in the past, how well you were able to pay, were you a deadbeat, were you not a deadbeat? It's going to be tied to basically your social credit and what your browsing history is going to be, and and the framework is there with lockdowns and and uh, the vaccine 
uh, passport that they're trying to initiate. So the framework's always there. You just, you're just changing it from one widget to another. So again, back to that million dollars in the market or real estate. And again, it's all propped up by credit. So we need to do heavy lifting of destruction of the dollar to remove it as the reserve world currency to go to the IMF SDR, but we need to pay the discharge somehow. Mm. The market downturn is going to help with the majority of that outside of a reprice. So you could have a million dollars again. Now you're left with 300,000 on a 70% market downturn. You get revalued 10 times. The bank converts a good portion of what's left into stock to shore them up. And all accounts get moved to the central banks of the world. So you have an account directly the Fed dealt out in a a universal basic income or a digital currency. So your million dollars, you could be left within a day or two with $10,000. How the hell do you put enough together to buy the greatest dip of your life? You don't. So if you're hungry, you're going to need to subscribe to this. Um, so, I, so I don't know what's if there's a way out of it either. That's what's kind of scary. So this brings us to the question, is it, is it worth owning gold and silver as, as physical assets to as some way of offsetting yeah. that? Um, Hundred percent, hundred percent, and here's why. So, that bank in Switzerland that I talked about, they put a uh, a uh, framework together in 2018 that started going into effect 2019 called the Basel III Accord, and they made gold money again on a bank balance sheet. Um, so, bank uh, gold is is uh, money on a balance sheet equal to uh, dollar physical currency and treasury. Right, it's the only other option. I uh, you have had Germany. I uh, uh, Turkey, you've had other countries start to redeem the gold from the New York vaults, and uh, uh, governments have gone from net sellers to buyers. But you also see a group of individuals uh, in certain reports that come out every week uh, called the Commitment of Traders. It, it tells you who's buying, who's selling. Is it the hedge funds? Is it the banks? But there's a segment there that uh, details what sovereign wealth funds are doing. So think uh, government interests. Uh, and uh, private uh, family clients. So if you have a wealth enough company, you can get a hunting license and you can trade markets yourself. You don't need a Schwab to do it, Mm. right? You can do it yourself. And these two entities have been pulling more precious metals, both gold and silver off New York and London over the last 12 months that rival the last 30 to 35 years in aggregate. Why? Because same as it ever was going back 2000 years ago, you recall coins out of the system in the monetary empire of Rome, you melt them down, you put them back in the system, diluting the currency, it's going to take X amount of that devalued currency to buy the real product. So gold and silver rise to meet the devaluation of the currency. So when people get clobbered and a dollar goes into gold and silver now, and they get revalued 10 times, the market drops 70%, that that $1 is going to be their $20. Wow, just so insane, now you Mark. can. It is so you absolutely need to. But the problem is, is by the time all this comes together and people realize that they really need that insurance policy, yeah, it's not going to be there. So you can see silver at a hundred bucks, and I assure you, I have math that it tells me it's going to go way beyond that. But if you have it at a hundred bucks, it, it's, there's going to be very little silver available. So I'm probably going to have to pay 180 to get something to sell to you. Which means you're paying too. Yeah. Yeah. And um, um, just going back to what we were saying before, <laughs> uh, when we we're talking about the introduction of fiat currency, uh, do you think, Mark, that the lack of the gold standard or just any metallic standard in general has enabled and caused this market instability that we're seeing now? 100%. 100% because the reason gold and silver are true God's money is you actually – now, again, in the Roman times, and they, they would melt them down and devalue it. So there's always a way to 
you know, to kind of devalue the currency, um, or at least always has been. But the thing is, is, is you actually have to dig the product out of the ground. Mm. It, it takes human labor. It takes human effort. So even more said, the best money is your labor and what you're willing to work for, right? And gold and silver is just the best representation of it because it takes the labor to, labor to extract, mm. right? It can be refined to any purity, to any size. You could have a thousand ounce bar of gold or silver. You could have a one gram uh, bar or coin of gold and silver, and there's 31 grams in an ounce. And you can have that at the exact purity for as many of them as you want. You can bury it in the ground, dig it up 100 years, refine it, still metal. Yeah. So it checks all the boxes of that. And throughout history, there's been attempts to, one, devalue it, one, alchemy tried to, two, alchemy tried to create it, but then by central banks to remove it, and the Federal Reserve was successful of that by the expansion all right, easy credit, people feel rich, excessive leverage of the Roaring Twenties, and then they collapsed it uh, to create the Great Depression uh, intentionally to remove us from gold. And if you look at the parallels of the Great Depression, the first, uh, the Great Depression in 29 and the first one in 21 were the only two market downturns that the central bank, our central bank, the Federal Reserve, did not ease. They didn't give money to an equivalent of a Ford Motor City or a bank or an AIG. They actually tightened. Mm. And then our own government was driving farmers to destroy cattle and crops and dump milk and they didn't they tried to take their property so what's going on now as far as food supply governments coming after resources limiting access or mobility for them all at a time that we're going through a reprice so history history rhymes it really does um so what people do is they put themselves on their own personal gold standard right and they do it before they find out that they can't get it because it is a physical asset it's not just poof we're going to make more of it. Yep. You either it, you either have it or you don't when things get real. And, and there's a finite amount to of get it. Real. Yeah, yeah, and there's, there's only a certain amount of gold in the world. It's not mm. like money where you can keep printing it or Zimbabwe can have a, a trillion dollar notes or, you know, Bill Gates and whoever's, can, um, you know, the WEF can say, here is a one quadrillion dollar um, coin. Go buy yourself a cheeseburger. No, actually, you can't eat beef. You have to yeah. eat bugs because we're <laughs> eating all the beef. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And that's what this carbon credit thing's all about. And to take it one step further, other than gold and silver being a monetary asset, uh, you know, the best monetary asset of the world, we, the world needs energy. And Saudi Arabia uh, here recently uh, has announced that they're considering to join the BRIC nations. Now, I, I don't believe that's just announcement of consideration. I think that's a de- declaration of forward, forward guidance. You don't come out as Saudi Arabia and make that statement unless you've ever also thought it through. And this goes on the heels of not uh, ramping up oil production as Biden and the, and the European Union wanted. This comes after sanctions on Russia, where we said money's their treasuries uh, in their forex reserves were no longer money good. Um, so there is, again, that historic shift that we're going to be going to somewhere else. And, and if BRICS announces tomorrow or Monday, at, or a Saudi Arabia announces Monday that they're going to join the BRICS, look out, the dollar's dead that day. Wow. That's, uh, um, I mean, it, I, I just, just, I, we've just got to sort of wrap up now because we've sort of gone a bit longer than we wanted. But what you've given us is just mind-blowing, though. It's just been amazing. And, yeah. like, you know, I said this was going to be a red pill. You, you literally gave us a whole bottle of red pills. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to do it. And I, I'd be glad to do it again. And, and uh, I look forward to seeing you when I get out there and meet yeah. you, Hayden, for sure. Yeah. And uh, just a final thought. I mean, I remember back in 
early 2000s, gold jumped from 250 an ounce to suddenly it was up to like 800, 1,000. It's never come back down. Um, now, if we're at another moment where it might possibly jump up again, I mean, is there any idea how much it might suddenly jump up in value? Well, you have to look at the monetary supply to see a good gauge of where gold went because A50 gold in 1980, we could have backed our M. Uh, one, two, and three, and three being the broadest measure, including the previous two, we could have backed it with eight fifty gold. Yeah. We no longer have M three as a measurement, and and M two is is redacted just like inflation to create a, a lower narrative. But there, it, people can go to usdeckclock.org and you can see um, that silver should be priced right about a thousand bucks, gold should be priced right about seventy two, seventy five hundred dollars based upon our monetary supply. But our monetary supply has been reduced to create a better narrative. So yeah. how high could it go? I don't know. I've, I've seen that math, uh, as high as 50,000 gold and about 10,000 silver. And, and the thing is, is we don't know because we don't know the true numbers. Um, and I don't think we ever will at this point because uh, we're not in a recession because two negative quarters, uh, uh, GDP doesn't call for recession, recession anymore. Uh, <laughs> oh, so we're, oh, so we're officially out that, of it now. So Biden's actually yeah, right. Well, we, never oh, went in, we, we never went into it. We never went into it. You know, <laughs> so there's so many things that are being changed and redacted that you're not going to know the, the actual number, but I believe that's why gold is now money. Again, a tier one asset on the bank balance sheet that happened in 2019 and, and your deposits became credits loans to the bank. So FDIC doesn't apply that happened in 2015. So this was knowing this day was coming very rapidly. And then you have sovereign funds and private family offices that are acquiring more metal off the exchanges at record pace over the last years compared to the last 30 plus years combined. So there's a reason and because they know that that monetary asset rise to meet the debasement or default of the currency price, i.e. the dollar. U.S. Deck, that clock's a good place to go to get a rough gauge, but I think that's grossly understated. And that's putting gold at about 7500 and silver at about $1,000. Again, do the math of where prices are right now. Silver has the better yield to return uh, percentage-wise. But it will also be the first to sell out. Yeah. Um, so I would encourage your listeners to get metal as fast as they can, and they can reach out to me personally if they'd like. I'd, I'd be happy to help. Well, in that case, um, in that case, Mark, you better tell us where to find you and where we can where, you, where people can follow you as well. So uh, you give us your contact uh, uh, URLs, Twitter, whatever else, and your uh, your business name as well. Yeah. Okay. So the easiest way to find us, um, and I don't have a huge social media presence. I've been interviewed various times on, uh, on YouTube with a, uh, um, an individual Jake Ducey for my love prosperity. So they could search up. I love prosperity. Mark Gonzalez. I'm sure he'd be happy to have you watch his videos as well. Correct. Gonzalez with with an S. Mark with with the K. Yeah. So I don't think he would mind people going to his channel. Um, and he's also a really good personal friend of mine. Um, so people can see that. I, I mean, I have a Twitter, but I don't ever do anything with it. Um, I'm not <laughs> like a social media guy, me. <laughs> but yeah. So, but another way that someone can do is they can simply go to our website, which is uh, www.firstnationalbullion.com, and first is spelled out F I R S T. And on there, in the very front page or the contact page, it uh, has a uh, talk to an expert, which is a uh, a number of eight five five nine one nine. 2534 and they call and that goes to the main office convoy which is the one that i help run uh and then just ask for myself mark gonzalez so if i'm not available um i'll call you back i when i am available or instruct one of my partners or associates to call you back but uh, yeah definitely definitely let us know that you that you heard about us 
Awesome. Uh, from Jack's Loose Cannons and yeah. definitely ask for me and I'm going to take good care of you. And we will put that link in the description as well. It is www.firstnationalbullion.com. And, uh, and as and, for Mark. And the uh, final. Yeah, definitely ask for Mark or mention uh, Jack's Loose Cannons. And, and I personally would like to see, you know, how many people respond. So definitely 100%. say you heard, heard about it from here. I mean, I'd, I'd like to see how this will this goes and, and give you guys some honest feedback. I, I, I think that knowledge would be very useful. We really appreciate you, Mark. And yeah. thank you again for coming on the show. Great. Thank you. Very thank much. you so much for having me. You guys have a wonderful rest of your day, Tony and Hayden. And uh, I look forward to seeing you guys here in about four or five months. And welcome back to Jack's Loose Cannons. And welcome back, Tony. We've just got to talk about the few things that have happened over the pond in the UK. It's been been a few interesting snippets have come out, the least of which is, uh, has been uh, a few inf- bit of information about UK fighter pilots. We'll get on to that in a minute. But the most amazing news is Liz Truss, the Prime Minister who replaced Boris Johnson, was forced to resign after only 44 days. <laughs> as, as I like to say, she lasted less time than an Aussie Prime Minister. Or lettuce. And you know what's crazy? I was actually looking up things that lasted longer than Liz Truss's tenure as prime minister. And I found a few uh, a few additions on this list. And uh, Kim Kardashian's marriage lasted um, to, Kim, to Chris Humphreys. We all remember that. That lasted 72 days. Almost double the amount of time <laughs> Liz Truss spent at 10 Downing Street. And the new Coke as well. And uh, Airbnb, they they jumped in with a, or someone jumped in with an Airbnb meme over Number Ten Downing Street, which is the uh, Prime Minister's residence, and they said it's perfect for short stays. But there is one thing that Liz Truss did beat, and that is CNN Plus. CNN Plus, I think that was thirty-one or thirty-two days. So yeah, Liz, she beat it by almost two weeks. She deserves <laughs> a round of applause. We, we should get re- we should get Chris Wallace on for a comment. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Piers Morgan, he actually made a, a serious comment about uh, why Liz Truss uh, fell by the wayside. Apparently, well, she, it was in the papers that she tried to bring in a new economic policy. And the problem was she was trying to bring in Thatcherite ideas, but she missed the, uh, the key point of Margaret Thatcher's um, ideas. Now, was Margaret Thatcher made sure the UK economy was actually performing properly before she brought them in. So she just sort of jumped the gun a bit there, and the markets reacted badly, and as we've, uh, as we'll hear from our guest, uh, Mark, the markets uh, can literally make and break people. Yep, Mark in the markets. He's coming on pretty soon, but it's just crazy. You know, she tried to be a Maggie Thatcher, but she couldn't even be a Dave Cameron. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and another bit of news coming out of the UK. Um, there's some reports coming out about a, um, a South African firm headed up by a very senior, very well decorated um, UK pilot who's been hiring. UK and apparently Australian pilots as well to train Chinese fighter and helicopter pilots, particularly ones with experience in carrier warfare. And they've been paid up to like a quarter of a million dollars Australian or and uh, or, or 170 odd thousand pounds. It's a massive amounts of money for guys who are uh, retired fast jet pilots and helicopter pilots. So that's the that feeds into something I've been thinking about for a long time. The Chinese have got lots of sparkling new toys militarily, lots and lots of tech they've, they've, they've hijacked, but they've got no bench, they've got no experience in how to use it. And this is their one way to get up to speed quickly, is to start buying that expertise from the, biggest, the best war fighters in the world, Britain, Australia and America. It's just terrible what's happening 
you know, our enemies, they're taking full advantage of the West's collapse and our descent into this wokeness, this cult of wokeness and uh, idiocracy, you know, to quote that movie from the mid-2000s. That's what we are. And the Chinese are taking notes, and that's what they're doing. They're taking, you know, the people who actually want to train military uh, pilots, and they're taking full advantage of it. But uh, we've, we've got to, we have got a little bit of time to act at the moment. The, the Chinese have uh, two or three carriers. I don't think the third one's commissioned yet. Whereas the US has got eleven, the British have got a couple. Uh, I don't think Australia's got a few helicopter carriers. So we theoretically can uh, dominate the airspace in naval warfare. But they're coming up to speed very quickly, and uh, and we know that um, well, one of the carriers they just launched is one of the biggest in the world. It's over nine hundred feet long. And they've got 330 nav, um, surface warfare vessels, which is bigger than anything else on the planet at the moment. So apart from carriers, they've got an awful lot of vessels, and they're making them at a rapid rates of knots. So scary, scary. Well, look, um, now let's just rattle on. We've got a couple of bullet points about craziness down under and the U.S. border as well. Oh, we're going to go down under, Hayden. Here we go. First of all, Australia. Four bullet points here. The Australian government has um, pushed through a decision by their FDA to allow to um, allow the uh, vaccine to be given to infants and and older. So they're disgusting. And, yeah, it's, infants, infants. And, and given all the negative data that's come out, I I I can't see too many people queuing up to have their kids injected with this stuff. Um, but knowing the ALP and knowing how they love to just sock it to people because the the uh, the ALP government in Victoria was was very was I think was a heads up to Australia as to what they could expect from the ALP. They will they will link the vaccines to conditions of attendance at hospitals, schools, nurseries, government buildings. They'll do whatever they can to make life uncomfortable for anyone who doesn't want to have them. And even when all the evidence shows that these things are dangerous and shouldn't be handed out like sweets. Wow. Then uh, then the. Uh, ALP OzGov has also unilaterally decided to not recognise West Jerusalem as the capital of Israel anymore. And uh, now there are a lot of lunatics in Aussie politics who support the Palestinians and the Iranians. And uh, I mean, if you go in Adelaide, there's one street in Adelaide. There's actually a, um, a almost like a a Palestinian oh, what's the word gift shop <laughs> supporting the Palestinians. It's it's craziness. Wow, I, I wonder if ALC visited there. Yeah, so anyway, I, I think this means they've, the, that uh, the bad actors in the world have now got a useful idiot in the Australians in the UN at the moment. Uh, Australia, I also heard from, from friends of mine that Australia is quietly preparing for war, or I'd say from the indicators anyway. They're getting lots of more ammunition to train with. Um, war? Are they, they're going to the Ukraine? No, no, no. I think they're getting ready for something, something a bit more localised. And like against who? Oh, I can't. I can't say stuff like that. It's more, I'd have to cut my head off and put it in the safe. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, all I say is they're um, they're reorganising ammunition. Suddenly, is plentiful for training, and compared to back in the stra- back in the the eighties when I was in the military out there, and and ammunition used to come out by the handful using Stalingrad measurements for for training. Uh, it's quite a turnaround. So. Um, uh, good luck to them anyway. I'm glad to hear they're doing it. Wow. Um, Australia has also been hit really hard by cyber attacks in recent weeks. Um, Optus, their ma- one of their major 
telecommunications companies was breached. Medibank, a huge um, sort of quasi-autonomous bank set up by the government, was um, breached. Bendigo Bank, a local private bank, was was breached as well. And uh, then I hear from uh, some meetings around the place, um, representatives of senior companies all over Australia are being hit by pretty hard cyber attacks. Where do you think or know where these attacks are coming from? Uh, maybe China? Well, they're, they're un- unattributed, but whoever's doing <laughs> it is a big actor, and that's got to be a nation-state of some description that doesn't like us. I mean, China would make a lot of sense, and as we said a couple of minutes ago, you, Australian pilots, too, are training the Chinese. Yep. So... Been, there's evidence of that, too. It's, it's just, it just nuts. It goes full circle, and it's just crazy what... You know, the Chinese uh, Communist Party, a, a literal genocidal dictatorship, is looking like it's going to take a real power position in this world because the West is just too weak to stand up to yeah. it. And then Australia, they know they've, they've caught the Chinese trying to bribe local politicians, trying to spend money to, to flip races for, for China-friendly candidates, um, and that's been going on for 10, 15 years at least over there. So yeah. they, they know that... I wouldn't be surprised if it's got their fingerprints on And speaking of radical socialists that are controlled by the Chinese Communist Party, what about um, the open communist herself, um, Jacinda Ardern in um, New Zealand? Oh, what's, mean, what's happening with her? I mean the, uh, the, the doyen of the uh, Communist Students Party. Or, <laughs> or, yeah, she's, um, uh, her, her recent speech at the UN if, um, within the last month or so was, has just got a lot of people in New Zealand and Australia and, and other parts of the world really upset because she was basically calling for global censorship to make sure governments could get their messaging across. So what, what do you mean by censorship? Like, like what things does she want censored? Well, she didn't say, she talked specifically about um, uh, big online platforms colluding with government to, to manage messaging across the, across the internet. So essentially they can censor anything that the government doesn't like. Yeah. So they, Lovely. they want, they want, they want to control the narrative at all levels. Um, now, uh, her, her um, government has also um, been pushing revisionist hearing, uh, history, uh, a lot of woke policies and labelling, and this has is, this is started to meet with some pretty fierce opposition. Now, that a lot of people don't understand where um, New Zealand differs from Australia. The, uh, the, first, the first inhabitants down there, the Maori, um, they actually fought the British to a standstill back in the 1800s, and there was a treaty called the Treaty of Waitangi that was finally signed, which allowed the uh, the, well, well, the, the Maoris basically agreed to live side by side with the British after that point. The, I don't know the full details of it, but I know that the the British were having their their hands, their uh, their butts handed to them by the Maoris in the, in the forests of New Zealand. So um, the Maoris have got a... Um, uh, have got legal standing. In so you would say they have like an autonomous zone there, autonomous region? Uh, I don't know about an autonomous... I know there's areas that are Maori, but they've, they've, got, they, they've got a presence, whereas the, the Aboriginals never had that in Australia. They never got a treaty. They weren't even recognised yeah. as, as existing until the 60s, wow. 1960s. And, and I do know the way the New Zealand Parliament works. They guarantee that the Maori has certain electorates and certain seats. Yeah. And uh, Winston Peters uh, is a guy who's been speaking up. Now, he's a senior Maori guy. He was the former New Zealand Prime Minister. And he was, um, correct me if I'm wrong, he is somewhat right-wing. He is kind of a little populist. Um, And he was uh, Jacinda Ardern's first coalition partner. He was essentially the person who helped her become Prime Minister by joining her coalition and not the centre-right party, right? And there's there's a... 
a video going around of him where he's just gets stuck into a dern, um, because uh, and the thing that's triggered it is they've started um, a dern's government started trying to um, rename parts of New Zealand using using revisionist history and basically rubbish names that just aren't real. And he's called into account on that. He he and a lot of other people are, are angry, and they've started a forming a uh, New Zealand First Party to try and take uh, the fight to Adern's party. America that, first is going abroad. Exactly. And, and uh, a lot of things, I mean, I've never, I've seen the guy speak in very measured tones before, but he was angry in this one, and uh, I was quite surprised. So, uh, Jacinda, look out. Yep. Now, let's quick, quickly go to the uh, the US border numbers. Now, we've got to jump on these. They're only released, um, we're on Saturday the 22nd. It was released at 11 p.m. last night. So, Tony, why does the government release informational numbers about government things that are going on on a Friday night. To bury the story, why not? Everyone is out partying on Friday, um, you know, going to karaoke like I do on most Fridays. You know, they're not going to want to look at border numbers. Let's, let's be honest. <laughs> exactly, and, and they hope they won't get picked up until the Monday or Tuesday. And so, then by then, they're like, eh, you know, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd rather look at other stuff. <laughs> so, so let's take a closer look. Now, these are terrifying indicators. Um, gotaways, nine hundred thousand. They aren't listed in the in the in the numbers there, but if you add them to the two point three million, nearly two point four million that came across in the fiscal year twenty twenty two, and the numbers that came across in twenty twenty one, we're looking at close to five million instant residents, as I'm sure Biden likes to see them. Well, he's he's just looking at them and saying, oh, these are Democratic voters because he's seeing the the people who are currently in the U.S. and how. Quickly, they are trending away from the Democratic Party. So they're like, oh, the only way, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to indoctrinate enough kids in schools in time. So we're going to just have to have these instant residents become, you know, become voters for us. And it's just terrible that he's using that terminology. Like what, when you think of the word instant, you think of oatmeal. You don't think of people. It's <laughs> yeah. he's, you know, he's doing exactly what his party accuses Republicans like Ron DeSantis of doing. He is using these immigrants as political pawns to keep his party in power. That's what he's doing. Exactly. And um, uh, digging a bit into the numbers, uh, September for 2022, the migrant encounters were nearly 230,000. That's just a staggering number of, of people. I mean, that's a small city walking across the border. In a month. I, I just think it's interesting that um, even a source like Fox News would refer to these illegals as a migrant because when I moved to, to Florida from New York, I was a migrant. Like, I mm. don't – it's these people are – you know, they're, they're immigrants. They're, they, are, they are immigrating, but they are illegally crossing a border. They're committing a crime by coming here, and can't and we just point that out? Yeah, and that gets us back to um, – the whole idea of these gotaways and some of the things to look at as indicators. Now, 98 people of that 2.3 million during the 2022, 98 of them were on the terror watch list. They were known and and identified terrorists. Now, if you think that's the ones that were picked up in the mm. groups that were encountered by the Border Patrol, how many were in the 900,000 that were actively avoiding being picked up? Could be a lot more than that. And you've got to think... Um, Terrorists have now got a, got their base back in Afghanistan. There's other countries that are hostile actors that want to actively uh, do, do the wrong thing or destabilise the country. If you think even only a thousand, just imagine if just a thousand of those 900,000 were terrorists or 
agents from a foreign power that want to cause trouble in the country. We could wow. be in some really big problems. And it's not just terrorism, because if you look at the other stuff coming over the border, uh, fentanyl, yep. you know, there's a, the Democrats completely do not want to talk about the fentanyl epidemic, but it's, you know, it's fentanyl that's largely produced in China illegally. It's coming through the border and they're lacing it. It's being laced into um, a lot of, a lot of narcotics that people take and, you're seeing it everywhere. People dying from fentanyl overdoses and securing the border, just having a hold on who's coming over and um, making sure that people come over legally would s- severely uh, reduce the amount of, of fentanyl overdoses. Well, I, I mean, if they can't control it, if there's, if there's, I mean, if 900,000 people came over carrying a kilo each, 900,000 kilos, that's... 900 tons of the stuff that you wouldn't even account for. You know, this just makes me sick because the Democrats, they talk a lot about saving lives. You know, if it saves one life, we have to lock down. All right. They talk a lot about lives matter. You know, lives mattering, right? Especially Mm. in inner cities, lives matter, right? Because this this fentanyl epidemic is is disproportionately affecting minority communities, especially the black community. So why do they, are they okay with people dying because of this terrorism and because of drugs that deadly drugs coming over the border just so they could get more voters this mm. is the democratic party that we are up against right now and now just think of the cost now um the way they're behaving with uh, or the way they're financially um responding to this the biden government you've got to think they're going to be spending at least a couple of thousand on every immigrant that comes into the country so see so we're up to a couple of billion already just in just in costs if you think at the moment that um, ten years ago they were saying there were eleven, there were about eleven million illegal immigrants in the country, it's got to be somewhere over twenty-five million by now. And with the tip, with the five million that come in the last couple of years, we're looking at close to ten percent of the U.S. population is now illegal immigrants that are now being supported in some way by Biden's administration because that's part of their their program. That's a that's a massive cost, and the country's got thirty trillion in debt. It's trying to um, get back on its feet and these guys are it's like they're hobbling it financially not to mention the fact that we've got to care for all these people now that they've now that they've landed here because they biden's government and the republicans as well so we can't remove these people we don't know who they are or where they are for most in most cases oh, well the, with the biden uh administration and you know you got people like aoc will tell you oh it's kids it's kids that are coming over you look at pictures of them, you don't see that many kids. Yeah, well, uh, hat tip to Bill Malugin and Fox News for their, their oh, coverage. Oh, he's just a great journalist. He's yep. just been on the ground. Um, there's very few people that are still doing actual journalism, and Bill Malugin is definitely one of them. Yeah, well, he just he's just showed for the last few days rows and rows and rows of, of men of, as I say in the military, men of fighting age, all queuing up, coming in. There's a few women and kids in there, but it's not vast numbers. And uh, I don't think they're, they're family units anymore either. So um, it's, that's, that's a huge problem for the country. It's mm-hmm. a massive problem. It can't be understated. And these guys are just trying to sweep it under the carpet before the elections. It's just, just disgusting. And there we have it. Finally, we get to say it. Another episode in the books. Absolutely fantastic. Great we got back to it. 
Can't wait to do the next one. We've got a lot to talk about next time as well. Yeah, I mean, the way things are going, it's probably going to be after the midterms when we get together again. So we're definitely going to have a lot to talk about. Hopefully, we're going to be going over a huge red wave Republicans picking up seats left and right in places that haven't elected Republicans since dinosaurs were walking the earth. But look, we, you know, this probably might be the last time I'm going to say this before these midterms, but you guys, you got to go out and you got to vote. I know we're all concerned about election integrity. I know we're all concerned about our vote counting. Um, I know things look bleak right now, but that is not an excuse to stay home. You have to vote. You have to tell everyone to register to vote and to vote. And you got to vote Republican straight down the ticket. Look, I, I, I'm, I'm not I'm not too keen on the Republican Party. I criticize them all the time. Both of us do. Yeah, both of us do. Yeah. But, um, you know, most of the people on this podcast I think we've criticized have been Republicans. You know, just listen to our episodes on Travis Hudson and John Rutherford, both incumbent Republicans who unfortunately won their primaries this cycle. But look, it doesn't matter. They're the Republican nominee. You got to vote for the Republican nominee. Republicans, we may not be perfect, but the other side is absolutely insane right now. Mm. And they're not just insane. They're dangerous. They want to groom our kids. They're, you know, they're running their whole platform on uh, killing babies this year, you know, abortion, because it's the only thing that they can talk about. They don't want to talk about the economy. They don't want to talk about crime. They want you to not have a job. They want you to be completely dependent on the government and for criminals to loot the streets. It's just been terrible living under democratic control and we are finally able to put an end to it. Yep, and I'm just going to close off with a Dan Bongino quote. The Republicans may not be able to solve all your problems, but the Democrats caused them all. Yep. Just remember that this is the most important country on the planet at the moment and we've got to fight for it. we got to go out there. Guys, volunteer to be poll watchers. Find your polling place. Find who's going to be there and make sure that your votes are going to be counted. Um, You know, you can talk about election integrity all the time, but actually go out there and make sure that we have honest and fair elections and make sure that all your votes are going to go out there. And look, the Democrats, yeah, you can say they're going to try to cheat. Of course, you know, they're the Democrats. Of course, they're going to try that. But we're going to go out there. We're going to overwhelm the rig. They're not going to see this coming. So, guys, looking forward to Republicans dominating Um, Hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll be back sooner than you think. And hope you have a great rest of the day, whatever part of the day it is you are listening to this. Yep. Thank you. Thank you very much for tuning in. And uh, God bless America. God bless America.